This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, May 2nd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Members of the Writers Guild of America are walking picket lines today, bringing production on some TV shows and movies to a halt. We'll discuss the strike in our next segment, but right now, the Federal Reserve has opened its latest policy meeting, and it's expected to yield another interest rate increase. Let's talk about the impact on consumers with Chris. Chris Everett, financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park and author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. When we have the interest rate discussion, there are a lot of terms we throw around that uh, may seem like a mystery to the average person, basis points and tapering and and and, uh, and and things like that. And you might wonder, well, what does this mean for me? I mean, obviously, you're paying more if you're carrying a credit card balance, your car pay payments may be going up. But before we talk about the way higher interest rates cost everyone, uh, let's talk about some of the ways in which you can make money, Chris. And let's start with uh, savings accounts. I mean, if you go on any savings account uh, calculator that you find on the uh, internet, you might discover you're leaving a whole lot of money on the table in this environment. Mm, what a dangerous question that is, Rob. You know, one of the, uh, my clients bring me all the time, hey, this bank is offering this and this one's offering that. I say, stop. Go to WeissRatings.com and look up the bank rating before you just lob your money in there. One of the things that's happened recently is some of these banks that are offering tremendously high rates don't have much liquidity. So you don't want to end up going into the bank and you can't get your money out because of fractional reserved banking system because they just don't have the cash on hand. So, yes, I agree that rates are higher, but in some cases, dangerously higher. So WeissRatings.com is a free site. You can look up your bank's rating. And if Weiss gives you a B or better, you're okay. But click on that link anyway and see how much liquidity your bank has. Because if you need to get your cash, you want to be able to get your cash. Now, is let, that okay? I was going to say, well, let's say you're in a big bank. Let's say you're in like a Bank of America or a U.S. bank or one of the large banks that does business in the Chicago area. And maybe you're in a savings account right now. Uh, what are the upsides and downsides of maybe moving that money from a low-yield savings account over to, let's say, a CD? Okay, I wouldn't buy a CD right now because Jerome Powell is going to keep raising rates. He wants to really battle inflation. So no matter what you think about that, we're headed for some rocky economic times. Yes, rates will keep increasing. So if you buy a one-year CD today, maybe next month it'll be, you know, a quarter of a point higher 
and then some. So be careful. And the other thing, Rob, people get into a trap when they buy those CDs if the bank isn't solid enough. So watch that. And then on the other side, uh, if you have uh, lines of credit or maybe carrying a credit card balance or you're trying to uh, buy a house or a car and finance those purchases, uh, the payments are a lot higher than they used to be. Are there ways in which you can go to the bank and possibly uh, negotiate a lower interest rate or are you stuck until the Fed uh, decides to lower rates? Yeah, you're basically crying in your beer right now. Rates have gone from as low as 2%, 3%, up to 7 8 9% in some cases, depending upon what you're trying to do. So the good news is the more Jerome Powell keeps increasing rates, the lower housing prices will fall. So be careful of that. So a lot of people are feeling real comfy about some higher housing prices. But those puppies are coming down in the next couple of years. So if you're sitting on the sidelines with some cash, yes, get a decent rate from your bank. Make sure you have a solid bank and wait. You'll be able to buy on sale in a couple of years. Chris Everett, financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, why you may need to find an alternative to your favorite TV shows, including Saturday Night Live. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Negotiations have failed to produce an agreement between TV and movie producers and members of the Writers Guild of America. Let's discuss the fallout with Tom Lason, media analyst based in Seattle, Washington. Tom, thank you for joining us today. And a lot of discussion on social media, of course, about the uh, writer's strike ongoing right now and some discussions about what the uh, entertainment landscape was like in 2007 as uh, some TV shows continued without writers. Uh, Somebody sharing video this morning of uh, Conan O'Brien on Late Night in 2007, uh, spinning his wedding ring on his desk. Uh, I was trying to find video from the 1988 writer's strike Tom, of David Letterman uh, making toast for his audience because uh, there were no writers. They were walking a picket line. And we find ourselves in that situation once again as the uh, late night shows say they're going off the air because in solidarity with their writers. Yeah, that's right. Here we are again. And the stunning thing about this is 98% of the WGA voted for this action. They can really see the handwriting on the wall. Rob, I want to remind everybody that the Internet was actually designed as a disintermediating force, it encourages, with no value judgment here, I'm just stating this, it encourages a race to the bottom with ever-reducing costs and prices. It's put newspapers out of business and intense pressure on television and radio with CPMs declining and lower production costs, of course. Residuals in television are down, down further for streaming and non-existent when a streamer takes the show off the air. So you add then AI to this mix, And the pressure to be cheaper and cheaper and automate is intense and writers can see the handwriting on the wall. Well, this is I mean, the the uh, the economic environment of TV doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago with uh, Star Trek Picard, which was essentially a uh, reunion of Star Trek The Next Generation, which was a very popular syndicated TV show that ran from 87 to 1994. Twenty six episodes per year. The cast got paid the first time the show ran it got paid on reruns it got paid on movies it got paid on t on vhs and dvd and streaming there were many opportunities for everybody involved in that show to make money the reunion is a 10 episode streaming series you get paid in one shot and once it's over it's over 
And I think for a lot of the writers, uh, getting on a series and having that series go to syndication and into reruns was a major source of income that simply disappeared. It really has. And some of the working conditions that the writers describe about being asked to pre-write, pre-greenlit shows in these so-called mini-rooms they talk about, they're writing those for free with no promise whatsoever. Forget about a paycheck and no promise whatsoever of residuals. It is a gig economy on steroids. And I think you'll understand, Rob, when I talk about television and radio as an analogy to this. For industries where people are trying to, quote, live the dream, like TV or radio or Hollywood, that blind ambition allows a constant driving down of pay and working conditions. So it's really sort of this self-sustaining vortex downwards on pay and making a living and trying to raise a family or do whatever you're doing in any of these industries. And the writers are experiencing that to the nth degree. The studios went headlong into streaming at the speed of light because they didn't want to be caught flat footed by technological change. Uh, a, A huge revamping of their operations, releasing shows onto streaming services, releasing movies onto streaming services, and then discovering it was nowhere near as lucrative as broadcasting used to be. Where do they find themselves now? Well, that's exactly it. It's one thing to throw money at everything. Hey, I have a show about a cat. Great. Here's a million dollars. It's one thing to do that, to try to capture market share and be an early early actor on this thing. It's another thing to try to make a profit. And you wonder why the ratings and those kinds of things are a little opaque with the streamers. Well, this is why. Because when it comes to paying out residuals and really paying the piper on production costs, Um, that's where that starts to show up. And, you know, uh, transparency isn't always working in your favor. So that's an issue. And and having to get to a point of profitability is really putting the crimp on the streaming services. And, oh, by the way, it's really hard to produce hit television shows. So there you go. Tom Lason, media analyst in Seattle, Washington. Find him on Twitter at Tom Lason. Thanks for your insight on the WGA strike. Coming up next, a major player in the Chicago financial community is leaving town. It's 60 minutes of financial planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Multiple reports indicate that Guggenheim Partners, a longtime key component of Chicago's financial industry, is moving to Miami. Let's discuss the implications with Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Bob, thank you for joining us today. And uh, before we talk about where Guggenheim Partners is going, let's talk about how they got here and their roots in Chicago and their growth story uh, from the Windy City. Well, Guggenheim is one of these uh, quiet financial giants. And as you say, it has roots here in the Chicago market. You know, it handles about $300 billion in assets. These are blue chip uh, public and private clients. Uh, including what they call uh, high net worth individuals. We call them rich people. Uh, they have been working out of the, the West Loop for a while, but they had to close down uh, when the pandemic hit. And as a result, I think that has sparked some new thinking in the executive suite, particularly where they want to go from here, literally. Now, is this uh, simply moving the headquarters designation from Chicago to Miami and maintaining their operations here, or does this also mean shuttering the offices and moving the employees to Florida? Well, that's a little squishy, and Cranes has the most details on this, and it looks like the move to Miami is going to happen, and as a result... Uh, the executive suite will be relocating from Chicago to Miami, which is now considered Wall Street South. As you know, other uh, asset-based uh, lenders and hedge funds have moved down there already, including Citadel. 
and uh, they're building quite a, a fiefdom down there of financial uh, service companies because Miami is considered uh, to be much more business-friendly. Uh, it has an international banking uh, scene, and there's a lot going on, and, and people want to live there. Now, what does this mean as far as uh, Chicago's business image is concerned? I mean, the, some of the sociological issues uh, that are bedeviling uh, Chicago and downtown Chicago in particular are uh, national stories. But this city is still a uh, knowledge hub for the Midwest. A lot of college graduates are moving here. So how do you balance the uh, physical assets versus some of the issues that are going on as far as uh, crime and taxes are concerned? Well, you're right. I mean, it has a lot going for it. Uh, as you mentioned, the universities, the, the uh, workforce, in addition to the location of Chicago. But, you know, we can't take that uh, for granted. Uh, these companies are looking at their options. And let's not kid ourselves. One of the biggest concerns has to do with crime and the safety of employees downtown. That is a big issue. It was brought up by Citadel. Uh, it's apparently being brought up by Guggenheim and also even McDonald's, which is been in this area for years is concerned about it as well. Uh, it's one of the things that Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson is going to have to confront. He looks like he's putting together a transition team that wants to tackle public safety. One of the criticisms is that it's light on business. Uh, you don't have enough business voices in there. Apparently, there's some hard feelings still from the uh, election campaign where the business leaders back Vallis. But I think both sides are going to have to get over that if you want to start talking seriously about solving this problem. Bob Reed, business writer and contributor with Chicago Magazine. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply the wbbm noon business hour continues good afternoon i'm rob hart these are the top stories on news radio wbbm illinois state police are still identifying victims from yesterday's large chain reaction crash south of springfield a head-on collision on the south side involving a school bus injures more than 15 in travel tuesday some people love cruise ships so much they've decided to live on them some pandemic surcharges remain in place, and restaurant customers feel like they're being nickeled and dimed. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow down 439 points. The NASDAQ is down 130. The S&P 500 is down 53. We have 52 degrees right now in Chicago. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Two people are in serious condition. More than a dozen others listed as in good condition following a head-on crash in the Little Village neighborhood this morning. Morning. The Chicago Fire Department says a car and a bus carrying disabled students collided at 31st and Kedzie. The cause of the crash is yet to be determined. Illinois State Police continue working to identify victims of a massive series of accidents south of Springfield yesterday. More than 70 vehicles were involved in collisions caused by a huge cloud of dust generated by work in farm fields. This is Illinois State Police Director Brendan Kelly. There's very little windbreaks in that area. 
and the fields to the west of I-55 were depositing significant field dust across I-55, causing essentially zero vi visibility, complete blackout conditions. The only victim whose identity has been released publicly is 88-year-old Shirley Harper of suburban Milwaukee. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in the red. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Mike, thank you for joining us once again today. When we last spoke at 10.20 this morning, you said that uh, the sell-off today is mainly driven by interest rate anxiety as the Fed policy uh, meeting gets underway today. What is driving that anxiety? Well, good afternoon, Rob, and great to be with you again today. Um, the anxiety is, is driven by the fact that we, we don't we don't know where Chairman Powell is going to draw the line. The markets believe it's going to be a quarter point uh, rise um, tomorrow, and then that's it for, for this cycle. But, you know, in the back of traders' minds, there is, okay, what if he comes out and is hawkish and says there's more to come? So, you know, ironically, you have bonds actually rallying, so yields are going down in the long bonds. But, it, it, there's definitely uh, some unease going into this this Fed because this this one this one could could definitely mark the end of the cycle, which I think you know most traders uh, most longs anyway would like to see. So we'll see tomorrow. Um, you know, the Fed Fed will come out at, at uh, about one o'clock central, and and then we'll hear from Chairman Powell shortly after. It's somewhat relatable that uh, seems like everybody has some. Uh, as uh, some squeamishness, some skittishness heading into a big meeting, and that's the same thing for investors. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and you've also have has have this bank contagion. Um, so far, it's been contained pretty well, but you know, every time we have a market sell-off, it seems like it's led by the banks lower. And you've got regional banks down seven percent today, and and uh, for good reason. There, you know, there there's usually not one or two cockroaches, uh, Rob. It's usually more. So um, we'll see. Uh, you know, but you have a lot of banks pack west. These are smaller regional banks out west. Uh, Western Alliance, they're down like 20, 30 percent today. Um, there's definitely a lot of worry about the banking system and the health of some of the, especially some of these smaller banks. And then the earnings season is underway, and one thing that is really jumping out of every earnings call, regardless of the business, regardless of the sector, and that is people want to know on these earnings calls how AI, artificial intelligence, is impacting your business. And I'm trying to see if, if you can separate the answers that are real, substantive answers, how much is uh, the old razzle-dazzle, and how much of this is like the uh, high school sophomore who was asked a question that he or she clearly can't answer? Well, you know, every every CEO comes out and, and says they have some AI or, or, or whatever. Uber was the latest, uh, uh, which, which had great earnings, and, and the CEO came out and said, you know, we've been in AI for a long time. You know, uh, as you said, some of this is just, you know, malarkey, um, and, and some of it is, is legitimate. I mean, you have companies like Google and, and, and big players in, in the AI uh, area, but most of these companies are, are not relying on AI as, as their business model. They're just, they don't have the, the, uh, 
the uh, ability, expertise to do it. But you know, Uber on one hand, I will say I, I recommended Uber on your show last Monday in stock figures, and it's up fifteen percent since then. Um, Uber is one of those companies I I, I very believe strongly is is very uh, very good in AI, and, and and they've they've shown it in 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 their results. But uh, yeah, a lot of it a lot of it is is uh, just people want, giving what the public wants to hear right now. Right now, it's AI. It's been you know. Uh, um, commerce on 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 the online b- before, which was big, and and now now it's AI. But yeah, I think a lot of it is 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 baloney. But but uh, there are stocks that are benefiting from this, and and it's the high tech stocks like Uber, uh, Google, and Amazon, and, and stocks like that. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, making a cruise ship your new home. Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Millions of people enjoy cruises each year, but the ship is usually a temporary residence. But it's possible to make it more of a permanent situation. We're joined by Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com, based in Chicago. Cindy, thank you for joining us today. And I made this discovery a couple of months ago. I was playing around on the website for the Cunard line, the uh, luxury brand that was that operates the Queen Mary II and the Queen Victoria and the Queen Elizabeth and has long been associated with the uh, best of the best in ocean travel. And uh, they have their around-the-world cruises. And it, it even the, the basic fare, if you have a, a stateroom with a balcony, it's a six-figure amount. But you're at sea for about a month and some change. But you break it down on a day-by-day basis, and it's actually kind of within the normal person's um, living expense. It's not as crazy as it sounds. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I always tell my husband, if we ever win the lottery, the first 150,000 go into an around the world cruise. But without that, you don't have to spend $150,000 to live on a cruise ship. That's the, that's sort of the secret that people don't really understand. Um, There are people who I, I, I met the first person I knew who met, who lived on a cruise ship, probably 15 years ago on a cruise. He and his wife had booked this cruise. She died. He decided to take the cruise anyway. He liked it so much, he just stayed on the ship. And he had been on the ship at that point almost seven months. And he loved it. He had all the entertainment, all the food, all the company. He was very um, outgoing. And he didn't, you know, he kept meeting new people every week, as, you know, those of us who could only be on for a week got on and off. So he had a great life. And I've always thought ever since then, that's that's going to be my future. I hope to live on a cruise ship. I mean, it's 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 has all the amenities that you would if you were looking at an assisted living facility for a parent. Uh, your your stateroom is taken care of. Your meals are taken care of. Uh, as you said, there is a rotating cast of uh, fellow passengers that you can uh, chat up and talk to. So loneliness isn't an issue. Uh, you have different exciting ports of call. I mean, you go to Puerto Vallarta and all the other places the love boat stopped at. There's a magician. I mean, what's not to like? Absolutely. So there, there, there are different kinds of people who do this. Um, digital nomads do it, although um, relying on ship Wi-Fi is still kind of a dicey thing to do. It's getting better. It gets better all the time, but it still isn't terribly reliable. And seniors, I mean, they're, all, they're still the biggest cruising age bracket of traveler. The, the thing that you want to keep in mind, especially if you're talking about comparing assisted living with living on a cruise ship, 
um, is the medical care. There, There is a doctor on a ship, but it's not going to be the same kind of medical care you would get in an assisted living um, facility. So if you're pretty healthy, I think, though, this is a really great way to do it. You, you know, you could go to sleep one day and wake up the next day and be in an entirely different country. So if you're real, if you're a real adventure traveler, you want to see the world, a cruise ship is the best way to do it. And if you're and if you are able to do it long term so that you're giving up your expenses at home, you don't have a mortgage, property taxes, cable bill, whatever, um, and you, you compare apples to apples for the living cost uh, per day on a ship versus staying at home and paying um, paying to live at home with your food and everything else, their chances are that it can be quite comparable. And then just, you know, before you commit to it, try it out a couple of times, uh, examine different cruise lines. And uh, uh, I saw the movie Triangle of Sadness. And and one pointer is if Woody Harrelson's your captain, don't go. (laughs) That's a good good point. But yes, I think if you're going to do this, you want to try different ships, different cruise lines, different sizes of ships and different itineraries. Um, and it's it's really easy if you work with a travel agent to book back-to-back cruises so that you can just get off one ship and get on another ship in the same port and try something different. And if you once you pick the ship and you book back-to-back cruises or you're on for a long time, there are a lot of advantages to doing that. You might get um, free shore excursions included or on-ship credits so you can go to the spa. It can be a really great deal. Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com, based in Chicago. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, restaurant customers begin to push back against lingering pandemic surcharges. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Many restaurants impose surcharges during the pandemic, and they continue to do so now. And customers are not happy about it. Let's discuss the situation with Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality based in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. This reminds me of the end of another crisis uh, nearly 80 years ago when uh, World War II was winding down and another a number of industries had imposed uh, surcharges to uh, discourage travel by the general public so uh, the war effort could continue. And those surcharges continued into the late 40s and early 50s until consumers rebelled. And it seems like that's happening again uh, with COVID winding down. Well, very true. Um, Rob, fortunately, um, neither you or I possibly remember that. But um, in this particular case, uh, World War II was very different than what's occurring right now in the context that this is just plain wrong. Uh, These surcharges uh, are from everything from ice uh, and drinks uh, for uh, having, for instance, a um, vodka on the rocks that you're being charged uh, $10 for the vodka and $3 for the ice. Uh, bread is another item at this point that is um, being charged for. And then in addition to that, we're seeing on menus 20% gratuity, uh, very similar to what's done in Europe. And then obviously we have the surcharge right now that many are charging, which is 3% which uh, I think is just outrageous. Now, is this uh, happening across the entire restaurant industry? Um, did some businesses quietly decide to drop those surcharges? Kind of what, What's the state of them right now? Well, actually, some of them decided this is not the right, right way of going about it. If, if we're going especially for the standpoint of our team members that are working with us, 
um, we're going to absorb uh, within our price structure their benefits. But others have put on to checks that we are charging 3% for the purpose of providing benefits to our uh, team members, our, the, the people who are working in the restaurant. If I was a person working in the restaurant, I would say, why am I asking the customer to pay for my benefits? You know, just charge 3% more of that steak or 3% more on that fish. Um, but I don't get that. And then where are we going with this very quickly? Uh, what's the future? Well, the future is I think hopefully people are starting to wise up and realize that this is a nickel and diming. This is something that at this point needs to uh, go away. And it, it just doesn't look good for the restaurant industry because I can't think of any other industry at this point that is charging uh, a surcharge in order to um, compensate for what they should be paying for. Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream. Just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.